The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Well, well done, everybody. You've nearly made it. It is Friday. You've got Karen Cho. You've got myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines on Scorebox. So U.S. equities, well, it says they dropped, but they weren't major declines in some cases. Look at that. The Dow was pretty flat, really. Uh, Second straight day, though. Uh, Bond yields did rally somewhat, as the St. Louis Fed president, James Bullard, says interest rate rises have had only a limited effect on taming inflation, but is optimistic the trend will turn. If you do look at the market pricing, it does suggest that uh, we will see disinflation in 2023, and I am hopeful that 2023 will be a year of disinflation. Uh, Reopening hopes in China, pushing Alibaba shares to a six-week high in Hong Kong, despite the Chinese e-commerce giant missing sales forecasts as zero COVID restrictions hit demand and supply. The Bahamas Caesars collapsed crypto exchange FTX's assets as a court filing suggests former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried was ordered to move money into the hands of its government after its bankruptcy filing. Twitter reportedly locked staff out of its offices as mass resignations roil the social media company after Elon Musk calls on employees to sign up for a new hardcore culture or leave. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Well, thank you. You just now your tea, weren't you? You didn't know I was going to do that. Um, Jeff's off today. Well-earned rest after yes. being down on the Barclays trading floor yesterday. Um, I don't know about you, but I have just spent 24 hours mostly reading about two stories. I mean, one, the UK budget. Right. The other, about Sam Bankman-Fried and crypto. And they seem to be dominating all my my Twitter feeds and everything. I mean, one is a tale of woe uh, and misery and disaster where a lot of people are losing vast amounts of their hard-earned money. And so is the other. Right. (laughs) I can't really work out which is which. I took a different view. One is uh, effectively now boring because the story has disappeared, which is exactly what many wanted on financial markets. The Jeremy Hunt is... Exactly. The boring dividend, as it's now called. And the other is the raciest, uh, you know, Western story you've seen. You're right. So for me, barbell approach (laughs) in terms of market strategies, right? But but I mean, mean, very brief, we're going to move on. But the James, um, uh, the Jeremy Hunt, um, presentation yesterday was suitably Jeremy Hunt. It was almost dull by comparison to everything we've seen from the other three chancellors we've seen this year and from the other uh, prime ministerial reigns of Boris uh, and indeed Liz Truss as well. It was incredibly dull and depressing for everyone in the UK in terms of the amount of extra tax they've got to pay. I think it's funny, we've spent decades trying to make economics interesting so people tune in, they watch it, they understand it. Yeah. But now what many people really want is economics to be suitably dull so financial markets yeah. don't react do any of uh, exactly. you know, the, the things that are going to roll the job of central banks, wasn't it? Yes. But unfortunately, they became, well, they, at least they thought they became rock stars as well. Yeah. But uh, yes, dull and painful in the United Kingdom, but not in the United States, where the St. Louis Fed President James Bullard says the US central bank 
has more work to do to bring inflation under control, arguing that the policy rate is not yet in a sufficiently restrictive zone. I think that's interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about this. He says the Fed funds rate may need to go as high. Ooh. Oh, does it sound on the screen? It doesn't, does it? Shall I tell you what he said? He said the Fed funds rate may need to go as high as... 7%. I'll whisper it because that's going to hurt a lot of people. 7%. Uh, well above the current range. So far, it doesn't look like we've had that much success in getting observed inflation uh, to fall. However, if you do look at the market pricing, it does suggest that uh, we will see disinflation in 2023. And I am hopeful that 2023 will be a year of disinflation. Oh, there's not many models have got 7% in, is there? Certainly not uh, the ones I've been speaking to, the people there. Anyway, look, the Cleveland Fed chair, Loretta Mester, yeah, there was a warning there as well. Uh, there was a warning that there were issues to address as the Fed moves away from a neutral rate. Addressing with some urgency the vulnerabilities that exist in important parts of the financial system, I think would be very important to help us avoid a very uncomfortable situation of a conflict between monetary policy and financial stability um, as we continue to move uh, monetary policy into more restrictive territory. Uh, meanwhile, um, again, do they want good news on the job front at the moment? I mean, it's very tricky to see, isn't it? Because the US weekly jobless claims, they fell by 4,000 last week, indicating, as you know, tightness in the labor market. And that's despite a surge in layoffs that we've been reporting in the tech sector. Uh, and the number of Americans filing first-time unemployment claims hit 222,000. That is less than expected, whilst continuing claims actually jumped 13,000 to more than 1.5 million. Well, Macy's has raised its earnings forecast for the year, driven by strong luxury sales and as fresh merchandise arrived for the holidays. The company left its revenue guidance unchanged, though, after trimming projections in August as it faces a tougher sales backdrop during the retail industry's most crucial period. The updated outlook came after Macy's reported third quarter revenue and earnings that topped Wall Street expectations. Shares surged, closing up more than 15% in New York trading. And let's just take a look at the broader stock market. Uh, that surge, as we talk about uh, the Macy's numbers, comes in the context of a broader weak stock market. Uh, the uh, reversal will taking place across the board, mainly again focused around some of those big tech names. It's been stop start, and don't forget as we have further probing into where the Fed funds rate ends up, the terminal rate, with Bullard suggesting 7%, other market participants saying 5% or thereabouts. You've got, uh, again, investors just taking stock of the technology sector. So we had uh, the market pulling back. Amazon, don't forget, uh, caught up in the cycle, the economic cycle as well. Some warnings, some layoffs, the market looking at what that means for various areas of the tech universe. And Amazon was the big weight on both the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. For the Dow, we're just settling below the flat line, but that was a second negative session in a row. So as we take stock of the markets stateside for the week, we are now sitting on losses that extend beyond uh, that uh, Thursday session. You can see 1.6 down for the Nasdaq, 1.1 plus on the S&P and the Dow reversing six tenths of a percent. And I'm going to remind you in contrast to parts of the European markets that are still holding out in the green at this point for the trading week. Now the US retailers, as we take stock of very different messaging uh, from parts of the 
retail universe. Don't forget we had Target saying it had seen the change in behaviours. Other areas of uh, the retailers, the likes of Walmart, were saying that they were still seeing people spend up on some of those consumer staples. So it's been an interesting trade, and this is how it looks. The 15% up on Macy's, Urban Outfitter 2.8% higher. That was a move to the upside, but still not as much as what we saw on Coles and also on Gap. Uh, those stock prices, 5 plus percent. So a bounce back taking place. In terms of treasuries, we've seen the inversion, though, and this is the warning signal for those that think that consumption can hold up. Uh, the inversion in the yield curve is what we're looking at, uh, the inversion sort of the highest level we've seen in many, many years. So investors also just noting what this is signaling to many out there that uh, there is perhaps still a recession coming. 3.76 for instance, on the 10-year yield versus the elevated 4.45 that we've got at the short end of the curve. Dollar has been on the back foot. Um, this is the trade this morning. Sterling climbing again, a 118.99, uh, almost 119, if we can call it that. Euro dollar, 103.67. So uh, clearly fortunes uh, were also just pinned on the autumn statement yesterday. So we're holding around the range that we had morning session as we awaited for the detail. Dollar yuan trades uh, a little bit weaker, four tenths of a percent south, and dollar Swissy is flatlining this morning. I want to take you to WTI, Brent and Gold, the commodity trades today. We have seen a reversal over the course of the trade yesterday and for the week for Brent and WTI. It falls about 8% for the trading week on WTI. I'll show you that in a minute, but what we've got is green this morning. So we're trying to march higher on the trade trade and across on gold too, up about a tenth of a percent. But here's how it looks at uh, the oil price close up over the trading week. You can see the extent of the falls, uh, 7.4% down now. It was about 8 odd percent as we wrapped up the trade yesterday. So it has been uh, a loss making week as investors again eye concerns around a recession, Steve. Yeah, there are. I'll just tell you briefly. I mean, can we do this? Yeah, we'll do it before the gold meeting. There, there are investors out there, very well known ones, who are whining about the oil price. And, and I, I mentioned this off air. We won't talk about names, but there there are oil men and women out there, mostly men to be fair, unfortunately that's the way it is, who are just constantly moaning about the pricing. It's not right. It should be much higher. We're trading as if we're $30. And like, this is not the fundamentals. Well, whoever those people are, and I won't name names because I'm trying to be nice. Very large uh, oil traders. Large oil traders, and dare I say it, too. some of the oil producers <laughs> themselves are saying, yes. this isn't right. The refined product demand is so great. We've got winter ahead in Northern Hemisphere. But the market's the market, and they know this as well. And also those you know, recession concerns and downtick concerns and weakish data concerns, they're clear and present for all of us, yeah. especially when you see a budget like we saw from the UK yesterday. I mean, we talk about the stock market being a forward indicator, but so too is the oil price often, right? <laughs> and if you see the inversion that we were watching yesterday, today stateside that the bond market was flashing up, then that has to have ramifications for quarters of the market, including yeah. oil. Yeah, and you can bet your bottom dollar OPEC are, well, we know we saw this yesterday because we saw some flashes about Arab nations will defend their interests, which I guess means uh, cutting production. Uh, Goldman Sachs has added another rate hike to its 2023 forecast now, predicting a 50 basis point hike in December. Did I thought everyone thought that anyway, didn't they? Uh, and smaller hikes in February, March and May, taking the Fed funds rate to 55 5 to 5.25%. Uh, that's around 25 basis points above the current market pricing. The investment bank warns inflation will run high for some time and says more hikes will be needed to keep growth below its potential. I guess that's growth in inflation. But anyway, now fiscal tightening has mostly run its course. Goldman also says financial conditions could ease prematurely as the Fed tries to slow down. Look, there are so many conflicting 
issues at the moment. And I thought you, you've typified that beautifully in the fact that earlier in the week you were talking about Target and the concerns about soft holiday sales there. Now you're talking about Macy's and the demand for luxury goods and beauty products still. Uh, but that's just on the corporate front. So we're getting a very mixed picture on the retail environment, the corporate front. We're getting a mixed picture from the data front where actually the October sales uh, earlier in the week that we had on Wednesday were pretty damn solid as well. But elsewhere, we're getting some really negative stuff. The Philly Fed falling to negative 19.4, uh, plus other factors that are coming out that are on of the US economy, uh, including the housing sector, NEHB data as well. The, the mortgage figures are clearly having an effect now on the broader housing sector. So a stunningly mixed and confusing picture. Yeah, and just pick up on uh, where we're going from here on rates then, because we've got, as you point out, very complex factors in the backdrop for the uh, lawmakers, for central bankers to try and navigate, and one on the fiscal side, one on the monetary side. If you think about the monetary side here, well, we've had this warning that 7% could be the number. Where this is somewhat concerning is that the market all along has been reluctantly repricing the terminal rate. Don't mm. forget we've been well below the 5% mark. Uh, I mentioned five percent several months ago to one of our hedge fund uh, commentators and he said this is just not baked in five percent that is not in expectations now we're hearing from the likes of uh, goldman sachs five to five and a quarter percent it's slowly just being tuned up a little bit as we take a look at what next year could bring in terms of more increases the extra one added we've got the 50 basis points we think coming into the year end but even more next year that takes us potentially to five and a quarter percent five and a quarter is different to just under five percent of say 4.75 that's an extra 50 odd basis points so that swing factor is relevant then if you put in bullard saying seven percent so you sit back and think are we underestimating again the five and a quarter percent will there be even more expectations added next year around that terminal rate the other pushback though just in terms of what bullard has said and before people go and sell everything and they think seven percent is the terminal rate uh, some analysis suggests well you know keep in mind this does not bake in forward guidance and if you think about what the Fed is doing right now, very hawkish commentary, almost trying to get ahead of the market, trying to douse those expectations in case there's any loosening of liquidity because conditions. Because so wrong previously. Right. So, so perhaps that forward guidance makes a difference. Also, QT in the background, perhaps those changes to steer us away from a 7% terminal rate. It's interesting you talk a lot about 7% because 7% is already here for most Americans when they're looking at their 30-year mortgage rate. 7.087% roughly is the 30-year mortgage rate in the US. And that data ironically comes from the St. Louis Fed. Uh, org as well. So have a look at that one. It's very interesting as well. But we've already seen a massive downtick in activity in the housing market. We've already seen a massive increase in revolving credit, despite the ostensible strength of the U.S. household budget as well. We've seen uh, debts go up to, and I think the figure from yesterday, what was it, $16.5 trillion worth now uh, of household uh, consumer credit now or debt out there as well. So these are really big numbers already and going up as well. So the U.S. consumer is already feeling the pain despite what we're not seeing in the uh, jobs numbers. Uh, and also, of course, the point for the markets is we're going to see violence because there's less liquidity now. Uh, and every time we see a good print, like we saw a decimal better print with the CPL last week, we saw one of the biggest rallies we've ever seen on the market. Uh, and we get a decimal in the wrong direction, I'm afraid it could be uh, off to raises on the downside. So we're going to see violence and we're going to see a lack of liquidity in the market. You know what fascinates me is this disparity you've seen on the consumption patterns because it is going to make it quite tricky for central bankers, I think. I mean, it's been very evident in the retail numbers this week. You tighten the noose, it comes up somewhere. But what if it doesn't come up in the higher end of town? What if we see no change to spending patterns whatsoever? 
What happens from here? Is that a task for government, a task for lawmakers, not a, a task for central bankers here, trying to smooth over the disparity in the form of some sort of wealth tax that gets rolled out in various economies? It's very difficult to do so now that the House has gone from the Democrats. Um, I'm not sure what the appetite was for that, really. But anyway, we'll, we'll see. But I agree that it's difficult to put any fiscal moves through now. So it's almost down to the central bank. Uh, join us in the nine Central European time hour uh, when we will bring you live coverage from the opening of the European Banking Congress in Frankfurt, including addresses from the Deutsche Bank uh, CEO, Herr Dr. Christian Saving, and the ECB President, Christine Lagarde. Uh, Annette will also be speaking with the Commerzbank CEO, Manfred Knopf, uh, live at 8.15 CET. Uh, also coming up on the show, Alibaba posts a modest increase in quarterly earnings as COVID curbs and a slowing economic outlook continue to weigh on consumer demand. We'll have some more after the break. And also, if you want plenty more on Fed expectations as we head into year end, don't forget to check out the Squawk Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Hong Kong-listed shares of Alibaba are surging in today's trade on reopening hopes in China and after second-quarter adjusted EBITDA beat expectations surging 29% on-year to over 36 billion yuan. Revenue growth of 3% missed expectations as the company said consumer demand and deliveries were hurt by COVID-19 curbs and a weak economic outlook. You can see Baba shares trading up 1.7% over the course of the year, down 33%. And this board telling you about the red ink suffered right across the sector over the course of 2022. Andrew Maynard joins us now, Managing Director and Head of Equities at China Renaissance, uh, joining us to discuss what to expect from Chinese big tech in future as the country prepares to relax its zero COVID policy. Andrew, the language from Alibaba was suitably downbeat. The CEO describing tepid consumer appetite out there. We're also still hearing about the impact of COVID restrictions. Why should we be, get, why should we be any more enthusiastic about the sector now? Well, I mean, I think you're finding that right now that we've, we've gone past that capitulation type environment for the Chinese equity stocks and especially broader TNT. And we're starting to see slowly but surely noises and movements towards an unlock, which would suggest the betterment of the economic situation on the mainland markets, especially for the rest of this year and primarily post-Chinese New Year next year. And also you should think that the earnings are relatively resilient. And I use the word and stress the word relatively. And as we've seen from other peers as well as Barbar, um, that now we're starting to look at this as a, as a relatively decent opportunity to, to start tipping the water, tipping your toes back into the water when it comes to Chinese tech. Um, and we feel that, you know, aligned with that, Barbar especially with the buyback announcement is actually what investors are starting to believe um, offers them a great opportunity relative to some of the global peers, which, as you've been saying earlier in the show, um, are probably going to be experiencing some more downturn um, than, than maybe China will be at this point in time. So overall, we still feel um, that this is a, a relatively decent entry point or re-entry point for many people to, to get back into some of these big um, beta tap names. 
Andrew, I want to bring up regulation. It's not the same as we talk about regulation in the West that investors have been waiting for and steering about. The regulation has been a torturous road for any investor in Chinese tech over the last 12 months or so. When you just saw an Alibaba paid a $2.8 billion fine in antitrust. Are we done yet? Because it feels as though the Politburo, the Communist Party, signaled that common prosperity for all was one of the big messages that they're aiming for in coming years. Is tech on the wrong side of that? I think it was. I think you're 100% right. Um, I think we rang the bell at the highs when the, the Didi IPO was uh, so famously crushed by the, by the regulatory body. And from that moment onwards, um, especially on the e-commerce names, especially on the gaming side of the business, especially on the, on the e-cigarette side of the business um, and the education space as well, we just saw body blow after body blow after body blow when it came to that regulatory environment. I think post the Politburo meeting, I think post um, President Xi's third term, I feel that all the damage and all the negative regulation policy has has been achieved into the market. And I think it was very interesting that, yes, uh, common prosperity is a theme without a shadow of a doubt, but post those meetings and post um, the reaffirmation um, of of the third term, we're starting to see a softening of that. And so domestically here and and regionally here, the the optimism that that is uh, well and truly over is is definitely playing into effect here and part of the reason that we've had such a strong rally in the last couple of weeks of October and so far in November. I had a different question for you, but Andrew, good morning. That's hope over reality, isn't it? This is a man who's surrounded himself uh, with like-minded thinkers who aren't going to say no to him. What makes you think he's going to soften now he's got a re-endorsement of his power? Well, I think the inevitability is that, yes, you are correct in, in your assumptions that you just made, but being, being said, the, you know, the Chinese economic environment has been definitely damaging without a shadow of a doubt that has caused a lot of duress, not only within the party, but within the country. And I do feel that now that I guess you could put the period of now only elongated stability when it comes to politics domestically has now been done. And I think it's interesting that even domestically we have that view, but also internationally, the geopolitical stance, and especially as we've seen from both Bali over the weekend and now in Bangkok um, currently with the APEC meeting, um, that China seems to be making the right sort of noises to encourage um, that economic redeployment of um, assets back into the country. And I think they feel, and maybe our belief with the agree with that, that 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 2022 straight latter end of 2021 is is somewhat overdone. And we now do feel that the value is is there. And if I may add, you know, albeit that the rest of the world is starting to have a much, much harder times of things. And maybe China, uh, especially with the currency where it is, offers that value that investors globally are potentially looking for. Yeah, and that's absolutely where I wanted to take it, Andrew, because so far, international investors are very cautious for a whole host of reasons, some we've already discussed, some we haven't, uh, about Asian growth stocks and Asian stocks generally as well. No, that's not true. Chinese growth stocks and Chinese stocks generally as well, uh, especially with the growth ones. Why have they missed out and are they, well, is it easier for you to sell those products now to international investors? Yeah, it is. And, and that's a great question. You are 100% right. I mean, the, the, the underweightness nature of Chinese equity, not just tech, but across the board, has been epic, right? And I, I've never seen levels as low as this. Um, and, and there was a belief, and I still think there's a lot of investors that have that belief, that it still remains an uninvestable environment, especially if you're talking the DRs in the US. However, that being said, I feel that, as I say, for the many reasons, whether that be an unlock policy, whether that be uh, a property stimulus, 
stimulus policy, whether that be a credit stimulus policy, um, that China is now starting to offer that. But you're right. You're right. And I think the caliber of investor, and especially here in Hong Kong, the nature of how the Hong Kong Stock Exchange trades is starting to change, where the big global dominated long-only investors are indeed very skeptical. That being said, they are starting to do work again on some of these types of names, whether the Barbers, the Tencents, the Meituans, uh, the JDs, um, and starting to feel that at the moment these, these are veritably undervalued. They're incredibly cheap relative to global peers. And maybe now, and it's difficult to discuss, but maybe now China offers some level of global defensiveness when it comes to the equity market and equity exposure, because to be fair, you know, it seems that, that, that we have bottoms. It seems that the, the most negativity has now been absorbed into market. And as we start to see slow but steady steps in terms of a relative unlocking concept, um, then the market should perform well and seems to be doing so. There is also a fear of, of, a fear of missing out, right? The market's moved a lot and there's a lot of people that have been into the market because they feel they have to, right? Um, whether that be they're sitting on large amounts of cash or that their underweight nature is going to mean a relative underperformance on the overall global portfolio we've seen. But I would caveat that and say a lot of it is short covering without a shadow of a doubt, especially in the tech names. Um, and as that short covering starts to dissipate, it will be interesting to see whether the rally can sustain um, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks. If we do a compare and contrast between China tech and US tech, and don't forget both have been beaten up, so there's plenty, plenty of Correct. opportunities if we're looking for an, an entry price for some of these names, if we think that there's value there. I mean, the US market, it feels as though, is going down this pathway of cutbacks, just uh, reducing its spending at this point to stop cash burn and also just to bolster the balance sheet. When it comes to those Chinese companies that have been expanding rapidly with this super app style of model, it feels as though they're now trying to also divest some of these exposures, some of them forced, and Tencent is a great example of that, uh, giving away or it's uh, MyTuan holding in a, a dividend distribution, the $22 billion stake. If you are chasing the super app story, the economies of scale story, isn't the US a better story than China at this point where authorities have pushed back to a great extent? Sure. If you were a pure global tech investor, I would agree that, right, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, the U.S. still offers incredible value and it still offers a great, a great place to park your money. However, I feel that China, from a diversification point of view on that portfolio, looks good. If you're talking about a broad equity investor with a global mandate um, that's, say, mirroring, um, you know, benchmark to, say, MSCI or FTSE, then without a shadow of a doubt, you know, being underweight China potentially is going to cost you going forward. And without a shadow of a doubt, the biggest sector in terms of percentage within that will be tech. So I feel that the underweight nature that, that most global investors have had is starting to change. You were right. It's very, very nervous. It's still very, very volatile, and the market moves incredible amounts every single day. Um, but at that point in time, would I prefer to be long or short on a year's view between now and next year? Then I would definitely prefer to be long. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.